Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hazen. I am your host. And joining me for today's podcast is Luke Boggs. Luke, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. Uh, happy to be here as always, but uh, you know, unhappy to be talking about voguing in the negative context of people trying to stop people from voguing rather than people trying to get people to vote. Yes, that's pretty much what we are going to talk about today. Um, we are continuing to follow the development of voting restriction legislation that has been moving forward, both on the House side and on the Senate side. The latest big piece of legislation is House Bill 531, which was introduced by Representative Barry Fleming, who is the chair of the Special uh, Committee on Election Integrity. Um, This is one of the committees put together particularly to look at election issues and, as we talked about before, was concerning for whether or not it would be a launching pad for voting restrictions out of the Republican Party during this legislative session. And that prediction appears to be coming true. We're going to talk about what is in that bill and what this bill, along with some of the other proposals that are moving forward, what all of that signals about how Republicans in the legislature feel about voting issues, how important it is they feel that they respond to the base of their party that absorbed the big lie from Donald Trump and all of his backers after the last election, that there was this big problem of election fraud that needed to be urgently combated. Um, Obviously, as we've talked about, none of that is true. Uh, But we're going to talk about how Republican lawmakers are operating within that framework, particularly as it relates to House Bill 531. Luke, this bill was notable to me for some of the new ideas that it brought into this conversation on voting restrictions. So so there was a lot of focus in this scrutiny that was put on the election, a lot of focus on the sharp increase in absentee ballots that were cast. They were obviously cast because we were in the middle of a pandemic and it was safer than voting in person. But I had sort of assumed that a lot of the legislation that Republicans put forward would target absentee balloting and make it more difficult to vote by absentee. And certainly those ideas are on the table, and even some of those ideas are in this bill. But one of the surprising provisions in this bill to me was a proposal to eliminate Sunday voting, which is well known as a voting opportunity that is taken advantage of by black churches in the state under their Souls to the Polls events. Fair Fight, uh, Stacey Abrams' organization who has been advocating against voting restrictions like these. They noted that 71,000 voters voted on Sunday during the 2020 election cycle, and that 36% of those voters were black voters. Were you surprised to see this provision put into this bill? And and does it give you any sense about the approach that Republicans are taking uh, as they put forward these voting restrictions? I I was not at all surprised. Uh, I'm surprised this was not in the conversation earlier. I mean, (laughs) it's hard for me to say that I'm not surprised they haven't introduced a provision that says Democrats can't run in the state of Georgia, because that seems to obviously be the goal of this legislation is to make it very hard for uh, Democratic voters to vote in the state of Georgia. And so Sunday voting is something that uh, Republicans have never liked and have looked at, you know, ways to get rid of for a long time. Because the thing that, you know, I don't think people need a <laughs> re-education on, but maybe just a reminder, is the fact that this is not a new conversation in Georgia. I think this is a old, old conversation in Georgia that has now become 
a larger conversation uh, nationwide. And just Georgia has a lot of experience with this. They're always pushing these bills. There are bills like this every single session. Uh, Donald Trump did not invent this narrative. The Republicans have been using it for a long time in the state, and they've pursued bills like this that have the intended effect of hurting Democrat constituencies and making it harder for people to vote in the state of Georgia. And so, no, I'm not really surprised by anything in here uh, at all. And the only surprise I have is that they're not pushing harder than they already are, because the goal is to hurt Democrats in Georgia. And that's what this bill does. I was a little bit surprised because I felt you could see in, in the coverage where Governor Kemp Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, House Speaker David Ralston, where they were positioning themselves as embracing things that they could maybe describe as more common sense election security measures, you know, absentee ballot voter ID would align voter ID policy with what is required to vote in person. Democrats have obviously opposed voter ID for in-person voting too, for all of the challenges people have in, in getting IDs and but there was at least some credibility to draw a straight line from a proposed policy to an existing policy there. And I felt some sense that these leading Republican officials wanted to appear less partisan, focused on security, but not carrying on this reputation of wanting to make it harder for Democrats to vote. Now, the base of the party, both their voter base and uh, the vast majority of legislators from the Republican caucus out of both the House and the Senate are probably not in that same position. And so one of the big questions for me as as we started to talk about this at the beginning of legislative session was this dynamic of do leading Republicans really want to turn down the temperature and sort of hold back some of the most aggressive voter suppression ideas? And if so, Will they be successful in doing that against the grassroots energy from the base of their voters and from legislators from more conservative districts who want to push something more aggressive? 531, this House bill, is is the biggest group of policies that has been put forward to this point. Do you have any sense of whether or not this bill is one that would unify Republicans and get leadership on board, everybody gets on board, and they're ready to pass a bill like this forward? Or do you think that it's one that maybe leadership would oppose and bringing in that question of whether or not they can stave off their most conservative members on it? Well, the place I would start, since we have not explicitly said this, is House Bill 531 is a proposal. <laughs> there are over 70 election-related bills, at least, that have been introduced to the legislature this session. And while this bill is one that's getting a lot of attention, is definitely the uh, official vehicle for voter suppression from the Georgia Republicans right now, like the details of this bill are going to change. It's one of the reasons we're not going line by line and talking about it, because this thing will still have to go to the Senate. There will probably be a conference committee. And my firm expectation is that we will see this bill very late into the night uh, on Sonny Die or, uh, you know, something like that, because... It, it, this is just something that's going to be a continuing conversation and negotiation and, and brawl, honestly, between the Republicans. And, and the reason why, and this is something I keep hitting on that I think 
you know, Ralston and Kemp and Jeff Duncan and Raffensperger and all the Republicans who deep in their hearts know that this entire narrative is bullshit, but more importantly know that doing anything on this issue at this point will make the party look bad. But they also understand that their base desperately wants it and demands it, despite it not being a real problem in the state of Georgia. Elections in Georgia are secure, period. End of sentence. Analyses have been done. Analyses run by Republicans have been done. These elections are secure. And so there is no bill that they can produce that will make it harder for Democrats to vote that will not be talked about in the media that way. And so the problem that they have found themselves in is that they have to bite the bullet and eat the political pressure news response, wherever you want to call it, of the media calling out this bill for what it is, which is voter suppression, because in the past, the media had not been so on top of these stories in the way that they would just accurately label that this is what these bills intend to do. And so now not only is the Georgia media onto this, but also the national media, and Georgia is being watched very closely. So they have this choice that leads them towards making decisions like what has been done to HB 531, which is if we're going to get called racist and we're going to get called vote suppressors, why don't we just do a good job of vote suppressing if we're going to take the heat anyway? And so to me, I will not be shocked if a bill that is this bad or worse gets passed because if they're going to call us vote suppressors, how about we suppress the vote? Because the Supreme Court has made it very clear that you can suppress the votes based on partisanship. And so a lot of these provisions are aimed at hurting Democrats and Democratic votes. And so they're going to just make that argument that it is perfectly constitutional to hurt our political opponents, and that's what we're doing here. And so to me, I will actually be surprised if this bill gets watered down, despite what you're accurately saying about the public posture that Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger have taken. I don't have a lot of faith in their faith in democracy or their uh, you know, desire to uphold, you know, constitutional moral values. I think they want to win. And if they have to do something on vote suppressing, why not do everything they can? So you started to lean in a little bit to the legal argument against these bills. It does seem likely, again, to caveat, you, Greg, Greg Bluestein mentioned in the AJC podcast that came out, um, I think, on the day that we're recording or the day before that we're recording that he had also heard from a Republican source that it was likely all of these ideas were going to get thrown into a conference committee at the end of session, that a brand new bill that is some combination of all of these things or none of these things could get written in the final two or three hours of session and voted on right before they dropped the gavel for the final time. But there is a broad outline here that Democrats can oppose and Luke, as we've had these conversations, you often you know, don't want to get beyond the current fight, the current legislative fight, and sort of give in to the idea that these bills will pass simply because Republicans have a majority in the House, in the Senate. What do you think are some of the best arguments for them to make publicly? And are there any arguments that they should be making publicly that should set up a, a legal fight? Sort of what are you looking for in Democratic opposition to the bill's that are being considered in the legislature. So I, I sort of previewed this in how I approached you know, the answer to your last question, which is right now, Brian Kemp, Brad Raffensperger, the types of people who, you know, we, we see consternation about taking one of these bills too far from, 
Well, and we should say too, it's it's more Kemp, Duncan, Ralston. Raffensperger, I think you've seen some quotes from him, but it's I feel like the most aggressive public positioning is currently being done by Lieutenant Governor Duncan. Yeah. And and, and that that's I, I totally agree. Uh th- though I will say Raffensperger has not been as far as some of the the real people pushing this like Barry Fleming. And that's that's really the the groups I'm trying to differentiate from. Is right now their political calculation is it will hurt me less to be seen as a vote suppressor than to stand up and tell the truth to my base that this is not an actual problem and that Donald Trump lied to you. And the thing that Democrats can do and must continue to do is to make it clear to them that that calculation is incorrect. If they continue down this line of trying to make voting harder in the state of Georgia, the only thing they are really going to accomplish is making themselves appear to be racist with the voters that they are having the most trouble with, which are white suburban well-educated voters the part the voters that have been fleeing the republican party in droves and this will only continue that bleeding and if they want to you know win a couple more elections this bill will help them do it but it will make them the you know perpetual minority in the future because here's the problem is their demo- the demographics of the republican party is changing. The people that are voting for the Democratic Party and voting for the Republican Party are changing rapidly. And the thing that I'm just amazed with this bill is that no Republican thinks that this might hurt them with their own voters. Because while, yes, more Democrats used absentee ballots this election and also in 2018, previously it had been Republicans far and above, beyond, using absentee ballots as compared to Democrats. And... A lot of the things in this bill, and again, since this probably will not be the final version, we don't need to spend a bunch of time digesting everything in here, but a lot of it is creating unfunded mandates for the local election boards to have to handle, and you know, that's going to be a lot harder for rural places than they think. Like, it's not going to be super easy to, you know, make the process of accepting ballots twice or three times as hard without giving them any more money to deal with it or technology to deal with it that's going to be difficult and there's going to be downstream consequences here that they're not prepared to think about because again just going like straight to the political argument here and i think we're going to talk about this later so i won't go too deep into it now is that Democrats know how to do this because we're used to Republicans doing this to us. But the thing that they're doing here now is going to be hurting their own voters, and they're not used to mobilizing their own voters after they've made it harder to vote. And so, if anything, I think there's a decent chance this will backfire on them. Now, that's a mega argument that you obviously would not be making in public. Uh, the the I mean, the, tr- the true argument is the, is the right argument to make, which is this is not about election security. This is about vote suppression. They are sore losers who want to rig the system so that they will win in the future and we just keep pounding that forever and always and 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 you know thankfully the media is now onto this issue and covering it properly and you know they're just not gonna get any political points for this because the problem is with this situation is that it's based off of a falsehood and you don't get credit from people who don't believe in truth when you do something because if Donald Trump just says you didn't fix the elections in Georgia, you could pass a bill that you know make it illegal to vote, and they would say you didn't fix it and <laughs> you didn't fix the problem uh, because they don't care what the facts are; they just want to know what the leaguer Donald Trump says. You mentioned that the audience for 
some of these arguments is going to be the kind of swing voters that previously voted Republican a decade ago that have moved over to the Democrats. Democrats could make this full-throated argument that this is an effort targeted at them and their voters to make it harder for Democrats to win elections. Is there any limit to the utility of that argument among the kinds of people who have switched over from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party in the era of Trump? And and is there sort of an alternative there? You you mentioned some of this unfunded mandate that's going to come down from some of these bills, just to give listeners a sense of, of what we're talking about when we say that. House Bill 531 um, has several provisions about the timeline of sending out absentee ballots, of when to process them, of when to process and report the final elections results that basically compresses the entire election timeline from start to finish, which means election officials are going to have to work more hours to do more computation of ballots, calculating, getting all of that uh, process done and reported out sooner than they would have had to do under current law. Uh, There's also provisions that would require local jurisdictions to add more precincts or add more voter machines and more election staff if precincts have had longer than hour long waits, which on the face of it seems like a great idea to me. But all of that is sort of sandwiched in this bill, along with a provision that would prohibit local elections jurisdictions, the county election offices, prohibit them from seeking outside grant funding in support of running their elections. And both uh, elections officials in Democratic-leaning counties and Republican-leaning counties got outside funding to help them run the election in the middle of a pandemic in 2020. And it seems unlikely, given all that we've talked about how the Georgia legislature approaches its budget, that there's a bunch of state money waiting to fund elections in Georgia and to account for all of these new policies that could potentially be put in place. That cost argument, Luke, and the idea of an unfunded mandate, you could put out there as sort of above partisan politics. It hurts Republicans. It hurts Democrats. It is a argument about bad policymaking, but it isn't one that necessarily activates the most passionate Democrats who would be activated by the idea that their vote was being suppressed by the Republicans. But is there room to make that kind of an argument to some of these swing voters that have moved from Republicans to Democrats in recent years? Is that useful or or do you think foot on the gas, this is voter suppression full stop? I, I think it's it's one of those things that's in your tool kit and you use it when it makes sense to talk about it because I you know, I, I don't think people care about the details of this stuff unfortunately as much as you and i do and so as a consequence of that i I think the emotional arguments of this is not fair this is unjust this is cheating this is rigging is far more effective because it's also the truest thing and it's also the biggest problem uh from it and the other thing i would say too is and this is the point I'm, i'm trying to make very very clear this bill is not like some magical, you know, inscribed document that only makes it harder for Democrats to vote. It makes it harder for every single Georgian to vote. That is the goal. And the 
calculus that the Republicans are doing is they think is that if they make the pain threshold high enough, that will hurt Democrats more than it will hurt Republicans. And maybe they're right about that. But the thing is, is like overall, though, this makes it harder for everyone to vote. Because just to hit on to some of the provisions we've already talked about, is like, if I wanted to vote on a Sunday, it doesn't matter if I'm a Democrat or a Republican, I just want to vote on a Sunday. And like that, you know, there's there's some good data to show that it's disproportionately, uh, you know, racial minorities that want to vote on Sunday. But, you know, plenty of Republicans probably voted on Sunday last time too. And if you want to request an absentee ballot, there's plenty of Republicans that want to do it earlier rather than later. And and so for all these different provisions, there's no magical, you know, balm that makes it only hurt Democrats. It's going to hurt everybody. And so to me, that that is a clear thing to get across to people that like this is not about making the state of georgia have a better election system it is actually doing the opposite the goal of this is to make the election system worse they want to make it less efficient they want to make it harder to vote they want to make it harder to administer because that will cause more problems and they think if the problems are high enough it will make it harder for democrats to vote than republicans and then they will win and so yes by putting this burgering on counties like, nobody likes that, but again, like, I don't see someone, you know, like, save our county election board uh, protest march uh, because they have this unfunded mandate. I think it's just something that, you know, needs to be part of the argument, but is not the main argument, because the main argument is the truth, which is this bill's goal is to make it harder for every single Georgian to vote. Every Georgian, it will be harder. There is no Georgian that is spared. Speaking of the Republican voters that could get caught up in this and, and make it harder for them to vote. That, that will, uh, if it gets passed. Uh, Kelly Leffler is making her return to the political scene. She has not announced that she'll run for something yet, but she has started a new political organization called Greater Georgia that she pitched as a counterbalance to Stacey Abrams' Fair Fight organization. And she told the AJC a little bit about this organization in an interview with Greg Bluestein at the AJC that you can find in our show notes. Luke, the interesting thing about this is you've talked about how these proposals could potentially impact Republican voters if they're passed is Kelly Leffler actually leans into the idea that Republicans need to improve their voter registration numbers, their grassroots uh, organizations for turning out voters, uh, but also that they need to back election integrity legislation, which is what they're referring to as all of this kind of legislation Republicans are considering that would put more regulations, they think more security procedures on voting by absentee. But Luke, some of her activism on behalf of their vision of election integrity may actually undermine the other two planks of her organization registering voters and, and turning them out. Yeah, and I, I think it will be interesting to see how this organization develops and uh, what direction they, they take it in and if anyone else follows her lead. Because while it would be really emotionally satisfying for me to just spend another 15 minutes making fun of Kelly Leffler uh, uh, yet again, because uh, I, I will say my, my one note on her is that like I find it interesting that like she is the person pushing this, that like this is the... Georgia politician that like is starting this group because maybe I'm wrong and Kelly Leffler is going to have some amazing comeback, but her political career seems to be pretty dead. 
I mean, maybe this is just a way for her to uh, raise a bunch of money and hang out with rich people like she likes to do and, uh, you know, stay with a foot dipped in politics, which, you know, it could be a full employment plan for Republican political consultants, too. There's also that and lawyers. Um, I, I could see that as well. But but again, putting all that aside and, you know, not taking any more cheap shots than I already have. Uh, I'm very interested to see how they they use this, because there's one version of it that I could see that they're, you know, basically just branding it as the Republican fair fight. Look at look at me, look at me. And what it is for is, as you mentioned, a way to pay a lot of Republican consultants between cycles so they have something to do. Um and, you know, I'm not being actually critical of that because it's a smart thing to do if you want to build up your party's infrastructure. And then B, if, you know, the Republicans have not done great in all of the many lawsuits that they have been having to fight with, against Fair Fight, and it's very expensive for, you know, them to fight in courts and say what we really want to do is make it harder to vote. Like, that's a hard argument in courts to win. And they're probably just trying to get more resources to engage in that fight. Now, the first planks of the, like, let's call it legitimate voter advocacy and information stuff that they say they're going to do, I would be very interested to see if Republicans start to engage in that because this goes back to, you know, the main point that I was making about 531, which is Republicans seem to not understand the concept that they're making it harder to vote for everyone because, yes, they have targeted this very well, that it is harder to vote for Democrats specifically, but it is going to make it harder to vote for everyone. And it's going to make it harder to vote for some Republicans, inevitably, or voters that would, you know, vote Republican if they voted um, and no longer are going to vote after this. Because what's really happened here is Republicans got lazy. Since Republicans have been in charge of the state for over a decade, they stopped engaging in the smart, well-targeted, well-run campaigns that defined them and helped them uh, win the state after, you know, centuries of Democratic one-party control. And this would be something towards doing that because, again, like, my goal as a human being, <laughs> as a uh, citizen in the state of Georgia, is for as many people to be involved in the process and to vote as possible. So if she's actually going to spend a bunch of money talking to Republicans, registering Republicans, like, obviously, I'd rather Democrats win. But, like, as far as ways Republicans can spend their money, I think that's a better way to do it. Because the more people that are engaged in the process and understand how it works, the better. Um, and... You know, I wish more Republicans were focused on that aspect because that's why they're losing. They're not losing because Democrats are magically, you know, winging these things. We're working very hard and spending a lot of money to talk to our voters to make them understand what the complicated process that the state of Georgia already has to vote is and to prepare them to engage in that process. And so, you know, this is like... I wish they would just have this eureka moment and realize, like, oh, if we make it easier to vote, it also makes it easier for our people to vote. And we wouldn't have to try so hard to, you know, create all these organizations to get people to turn out. But again, for some godforsaken reason, that is complete anathema to the Republican ideology at this moment. Well, and look, there are some Republicans that at least practice a politics that suggests they believe that if they put forward what they believe to be good policy, solving concrete policy problems, 
and then going out and talking about it on the campaign trail, they can win voters that would traditionally vote for Democrats. I mean, they've spent a lot of time. There's a big push in this legislative session to repeal the citizen's arrest statute and replace it with something that is much different than the Civil War era statute that was grounded in in racism and uh, upholding slavery in the state of Georgia. They've made a big deal about the push that they've made on maternal mortality, which is particularly a problem that uh, disproportionately impacts black women in our state. They've sponsored bills that have uh, given more people in our state paid leave. They want to give paid leave to state employees, um, including teachers and other state employees. And the theory behind some of that is that there's a broad coalition of Georgians that support these ideas, including some of the same Georgians who previously traditionally voted for Democrats, may be interested in voting for Republicans, but may very well get caught up in many of the restrictions that have been proposed that would then make those voters more difficult for Republicans to reach. You know, David Ralston to me is somebody who seems to be at least speaking out of out of one side of his mouth, a proponent of this type of politics, because it's what he touts about what the Republican House majority has done for the state. Um, and so it, you know, there seem there seems like there could be an avenue there for like a legitimate Republican leaning organization focused on getting voters, getting people out to vote, making it easier to vote, sort of serving as almost a complement to the Democratic approach from Fair Fight. Um, now, obviously, somebody like Kelly Loeffler is never going to frame herself or her organization as a way to sort of work towards the same goal of somebody like Stacey Abrams. Um, but it just, it does make me wonder, like, why there isn't any movement towards, like, why all the energy is put forward towards making it harder to vote and why it does seem like there's so little energy put forward towards making it easier to vote. Well, you know, because I do want to reemphasize, like, if Kelly Loeffler's organization is focused on educating voters and making it easier for them to vote, like, that's a great thing and you should encourage that. Uh, and because that is what Republicans actually should be doing to make themselves competitive in the state. And so, like, I'm not going to be hypocritical here because I think that is what they should be doing rather than doing these bills. I mean, I, I think it's very simple here, which is... This is a party not built on people wanting good policy, good governance right now, unfortunately. This party is, as Ben Sass said, is the weird you know, worship of one duke. And Donald Trump says there's vote suppression, so that means there must be vote suppression. And rather than standing up to him, they are enabling him. And they think that's going to save them when their primaries come around and that he will just decide out of you know goodwill that he won't viciously attack them and say that they allowed the state of Georgia to steal the election from him even though they have this bill. He doesn't care about that and they just don't realize it. And so I think that's why that it's so hard for them is because not only has this been what they've been doing for a decade is that they had this I mean it's, it's so funny because in my mind they had this golden opportunity to turn away from these types of politics and to 
press the reset button, but they, you know, have this bright shining object of like, oh, Trump's exciting our voters and making them care about this stuff. And so maybe we should lean into it. And that's what they've decided to do. And I, I really think it's going to backfire on them in a way that they cannot comprehend right now. But it, I really think it will because they're so concerned about their primary that they just forget that like Joe Biden won the state of Georgia, John Ossoff won the state of Georgia, and Raphael Warnock won the state of Georgia. They forget that Raphael Warnock is a state United States senator, and they have to run against him in you know 2022, and that he could win again. Like they forget that that's a possibility because they're so concerned about winning their primaries. Because that's what I think this is really about: is they they are so focused on their primaries, they don't even think about the implications for the general election. Because this type of politics of inflaming racial relations, doing things that are purely racially based of trying to hurt racial minorities. It is not good politics in the state of Georgia anymore. It used to be for a long time. It still is with a, you know, unfortunately large proportion of the electorate. But the problem is, is that it's not good politics for the people that they need the most. And you know, to, to mention our good friend, Kelly, his former singer Kelly Loeffler, one last time, you know, the whole, I mean, I, I don't think there's any political miscalculation that is as fascinating in how quickly it dissolved than the choosing of her to be the replacement for Johnny Isaacson because the entire thesis of picking her, 100% of the thesis was we are doing a shitty job in the suburbs and having a suburban woman who isn't crazy would be really great for the party right now. And so, like, she seems like a great fit for this job. And then within, you know, 30 seconds of being a U.S. senator, she went as far right as you can possibly go, or at least pretending to do that. And they just completely burned every opportunity at, like, building some goodwill with those voters that they're hurting and losing so bad. And the thing is, is, like, this action of pursuing these policies is only going to exacerbate that problem. They will gain zero votes in the suburbs because of these bills. And if anything, they're going to lose them because it makes the party look racist. The other sort of interesting piece of tea leaf reading you can do specifically about House Bill 531 is uh, the second sponsor on the bill is Jan Jones, who's the Speaker Pro Tem for the Republicans in the House. And she has often talked about as sort of the speaker and waiting the next in line behind David Ralston. My hunch, and it seems like maybe you disagree with this a little, Luke, is that I my guess is that Ralston is opposed to most of 531 or at least sort of the the core of what 531 is trying to do. Jan Jones, who wants to be the next speaker, presumably, seems to think that she needs to play along with this kind of bill, maybe as a way to maintain support and and good relationships with key members of the Republican caucus that would vote her in as the next speaker if and when Ralston decides to retire or give up the gavel. Her thinking about her political future and and how to continue to advance in the party is open to embracing these bills as opposed to sending out signals that she uh, is not wild about them. I mean, the the thing that I think is clear here is that Jan Jones also released a mailer last cycle saying you moved to North Fulton for a reason, which if you don't know the geography of Atlanta very well, uh, it, it there, there are very heavy racial connotations with that statement. Um, and so I think Jan Jones is someone who 
again, this is about the primary. I mean, that's the thing that I think is really important to understand and to really important to, you know, I shouldn't be giving Republicans free advice <laughs> about how to do better statewide, uh, but that's what I'm doing because it's, you know, better policy. Uh, it, it, this is about their primaries. This is about Jan Jones trying to position herself as a potential successor to David Ralston by taking these issues seriously and, you know, being a lackey for them. Um, so that's the thing that I, I think is just so hard for people to understand is that, like, this is not about making a good bill. This is not about anything other than pleasing Donald Trump and vote suppression and trying to rig the game so it's easier for them to win. And, I, I you know, maybe they're going to end up significantly watering this thing down uh, in, in conference committee and Kemp's going to sign this thing and I'll be eating my hat. But, you know, this is not <laughs> this is not Nathan Deals, Georgia <laughs> anymore, as we, we talk about a lot in the show. And, like, Kemp has showed no ability to make the legislature do anything that he wants to do. And the other thing is, is like he's incredibly unpopular right now among Republicans. So I like, I don't think there's a, a big constituency in the, the Republican legislature right now who's like, oh, I really worry what Brian Kemp thinks. I mean, half of them are thinking about running against him or supporting someone who's thinking about running against him. So on, on that front, I don't see them really giving Kemp what he wants here because what he wants is directly against what Trump wants. And I mean, I, I really think as, as crazy as it is, like that is still what these people care about. I think the last note that we can make here is, as we wind down on this is, is this really a fight that governor Kemp wants? And like, <laughs> he's kind of getting hung out to dry here by Republican leadership. If they can't sort of uh, snuff these bills out in committee and, and keep the worst stuff from landing on his desk because Stacey Abrams is is ready to to hit him on these issues, and it's a direct continuance of many of her arguments against him in the last governor's race when he was Secretary of State overseeing his own election. Um, there's even a bill that would actually propose to take the Secretary of State, the current Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, take him off the state elections board as a voting member and instead have his seat on the board filled by a governor-appointed person to sit on that board, have a direct connection to the governor as they uh, continue to participate in, in policies that would make it harder to vote. I mean, I can't imagine a, a tougher hand for, for Kemp to play to sort of try to get rid of all that baggage that nearly cost him the race in 2018. I think the problem here is, and this is the point, I'm really trying to hit home for any of the Republican consultants that uh, are listening out there. Um, or Brian Kemp, if you're listening. I hope you are. Um, they're going to make it a lot harder for every single Georgian to vote, and they're going to eat the political cost of making it harder for every single Georgian to vote and then not get nearly as much out of it as they think. And so to me, this is a giant political miscalculation that is entirely avoidable. And the thing that I'm really curious to see, Kyle, is which one of us is right and you know how strong is Brian Kemp's gut? Because what I really think is going to happen, I think you're right. I think Brian Kemp does not... I mean, he is not the defender of democracy <laughs> by any means, but I think you're probably right that he doesn't like this current version of this bill, if for no other reason than what you just said, in that it makes it 
appear like everything that Stacey Abrams is saying about him is true, because it is, I mean, just to be frank, but like it does appear really, really bad. The appearances are incredibly bad. And so, I mean, if I was Brian Kemp and I was trying to tell him how to win in 2022, it would be let the legislature give you a really nasty bill like this and then show some spying and veto it. Uh, and we'll veto see. Veto it and then go to a vaccine distribution site. Right. <laughs> and and then, you know, hug a puppy or something after that. Adopt, adopt you know, adopt a, uh, a rescue puppy after that. Adopt um, Warnock's dog. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, I think Warnock would rather, Warnock's dog would definitely rather stay with him. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, the, maybe that's what's going to happen. And maybe, you know, Kemp is playing that 4D chess right now. And he's like letting the legislature come up with this stupid bill and earn a bunch of political points for vegoing it. Um, which, you know, I welcome it if that's what he wants to do, because that would be better for the state of Georgia. Um, I just I just doubt that he's going to do that, because what we've seen, unfortunately, every time from Brian Kemp is that he starts with a position that, you know, on the spectrum of all possible positions is closer to reasonable than what the legislature wants to do. And then when the legislature is like, yeah, we want to do the crazy thing, he just says, oh, shucks, I guess let's do that. Um, And so that's what I'm really curious about is like how he's going to react to this, because my guess is he's going to say, oh, shucks, and just pass it. All right. Well, on that note, I think we're going to wind down here for for listeners who want to continue to follow this. Um, the big omnibus bill in the House, as we've talked about, is House Bill 531. Uh, we're talking on Monday evening, and that bill was in maybe its next to final committee meeting um, in Barry Fleming's committee, so that it's possible that that bill gets out of committee this week. It could be voted on by the full House uh, this week, the week of February 22nd, that we're talking here. Um, there's a bunch of other bills in the Senate that deal with voting issues. And as we mentioned, as as the AJC's Greg Bluestein heard, it's very possible that all this ends up in some big mess of a conference committee, big mess of negotiations between the House and the Senate right at the end of legislative session. So very much TBD on what the final details will be, but certainly all of these ideas, all of these policies are going to be at play, um, and maybe even some ones that we haven't seen yet. Uh, Luke, any other final thoughts from you before we go? This has been a uh, depressing topic for me to talk about and obviously fires me up since so much of my life has been devoted to trying to help people vote and educate voters about the issues. And, you know, a lot lot of my both professional and extracurricular time has been devoted to those topics. And so, you know, it's I hate I hate to see when Georgia is moving in the wrong direction, especially since we've been moving in the right direction in a lot of ways past couple of years. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And then two, like elections have consequences. And, and, and I mean that in many, many ways, you know, for the positive first is that we have two Democratic senators in Washington right now who are very much on top of these issues and care about them. And I am sure are influencing the conversation in a positive direction on the election integrity bills that actually are trying to promote election integrity and election access, uh, like the, you know, John Lewis Voting Rights Act and H.R. 1 and the other uh, plethora of federal bills. And a lot of these negative changes that the Republicans are trying to uh, make 
could be prevented on a federal level if the political will existed. And I, I wish it did. And maybe we'll maybe we'll all be surprised and something will happen on, on that. Uh, and I, I really wish it would. The, the other thing, too, though, elections have consequences in the other direction as well, whereas while we won those races, we lost the state house races and state senate races, and those are the people who are making these changes right now. And it just highlights the importance of focusing on these issues and always pushing you know, our legislators on the local level, on the state level, to be honest brokers and to reward the ones that are and punish the ones who aren't uh, politically. And so I, I hope that if nothing else, it has, you know, woken everyone up to the fact that you have to be vigilant because the wins that you get can be easily taken away if you're not paying attention to who the decision makers are on the process of voting. And that is their goal is to make it harder for people to vote. And I am hoping that they won't be successful. And I'm <laughs> hoping these bills will fail, but I, I'm not very hopeful right now. But it's it's in our power to do something about it. Alrighty. Well, on that note, we are going to leave it there for now. Uh, Next week, we will be returning to other issues going on in the legislature, as well as taking another look at what's going on in Washington, the stimulus bill, the the COVID recovery bill uh, that Joe Biden has urged the Congress to pass that continues to move forward. And maybe we'll see some more action on on some of these federal voting rights protections that, that you mentioned, Luke. Uh, But for now, we are going to leave it there and we will talk to you again soon. Luke, thanks as always for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, Happy, happy to at least have some place to vent about these issues where someone's listening. You'll always have me and and this podcast to do that. (laughs) Small goals. All righty. We'll talk to you again soon. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning into Peach Pod. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, y'all.